2: are back and we're just warming up it's a state of combat podcast on cbs sports with your boy the brian campbell mma right back at you coming off of ufc 249 right in the midst of ufc's ambitious three fight cards in eight crazy nights they're back baby trust me yeah where where's andy are you here where are you i'm back breath <laughs> me I bet all of us are back, Andy. Thank you very much. Uh, fired up to be back in your lives, back in your ear hole where we belong, and fired up to be back looking at the fallout from UFC 249 and setting the stage for Wednesday night's UFC Fight Night Jacksonville. Uh, I don't know what we're calling it. It's just Fight Night Jacksonville Part 2, I guess. It's Sugar Rashad Evans, your Hall of Famer, your earthquake survivor, He's standing in the Hall of Fame. Wow, how's that for a Hall of Fame <laughs> Rashad, welcome back to the pod. How you, you, you feel like we got a little bit of normalcy because of Uncle Dan and company? You feeling that?
0: I'm feeling a normalcy come back. You know, I'm feeling like uh, things are going to start to return back to normal. That was a good, uh, good sign this weekend and good, uh, good uh, fights for the guys, man. They went out there and they fought amazing. I'm very happy with this weekend.
2: Uh, it was a fantastic fight card and it wasn't just the feeling of like, I've missed this in my life. It wasn't just the feeling of, damn, this is a loaded card. Like that can still fail. They freaking brought it. I mean, I feel like every fight there was either fight of the night contender, or there was some kind of weird, you know, storyline coming out, like everyone delivered the announced team brought it, uh, you know, shot again, I not we'll get into it. Not everything was perfect in terms of handling by the UFC this weekend, but, uh, it seems like we everything's come off pretty well. I feel like the momentum is going to keep going. And Rashad, I'm down with that, all right? I'm down with taking a bite out of the normal apple once again, okay? You know what I'm saying here?
0: <laughs> I hear you, BC. I right. hear you, man. All right,
2: yes. Let's get excited. Let's get freaky. But black folks love me, man. Black girls love me, too, man. I get hit on by black girls all the time. Yep. Well, we'll I be, like, be, be, be doing my nipple okay, dance. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a little too far there, uh, Rampage. Uh, we've also got a great guest for you today. Meathead, Matt Mitrion. We Meathead. love you.
1: Meathead.
2: <laughs> Back on the pod, going to get you fired up for this ongoing collaboration between CBS Sports and Bellator. It's going to be every Wednesday night on your CBS Sports Network, Bellator MMA Recharged, looking back at some great fights, including that heavyweight Grand Prix from a year ago. Rashad, that's aged pretty well, that heavyweight Grand Prix. That was, a little, that was fun business. Remember that?
0: It really was fun business. They need to do more stuff like that, though. I think that's the kind of stuff that can bring in the attention that they need to the organization, you know?
2: Absolutely. Uh, we were also doing uh, some work with Showtime, chatting with Scott Coker about uh, – the heavyweight Grand Prix he did with Force back in the day. People forget Rashad. When he rolled out Fedor, Overeem, Verdum, like, bang, 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 like that was – they had a better heavyweight division for a hot second than UFC at that point. Scott Coker, yeah. shout out, right? Shout out to yeah,
0: the- Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think when, when organizations hop on that whole, like, tournament style, you know, uh, how they do their belt structure, I think it – it brings, it ignites that attention. People want to see what's going to happen, and it draws you in because no matter what, you're going to be brought to a finale, and it's going to be exciting, no matter who's in it. So I think they need to do more stuff like that. It gives their, it gives the attention to the weight classes that they need, and it gives a good showcase show, showcase for all the fighters in there. You know, and everybody loves a good finale. It
1: was a good finish. I, I like a good finish. Yeah.
0: Oh, whoa, 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 Carl Frotz whoa Cobra,
2: back down there for a second. All right, Rashad, not only is MMA back in our live but you have to feel like pro sports is going to follow. And, hey, fantasy football fans. Rashad, you, in, you a fantasy football guy, or is that a little too nerdy for you? Nah, I, I did a fantasy football a few times. It's all right, hey, man. Remember when you won your league with Ladanian Tomlinson in 06? Well, maybe it wasn't you, but remember when someone <laughs> out there did? Remember when you run your, won your league with Randy Moss in 07 when he was catching like 50 touchdown passes? Or when you were the only guy who bought into Peyton Hillis after his big season? Well, all this week, Rashad, I want to get you ready for this. The Fantasy Football Today podcast is becoming Fantasy Football Yesterday. They're going to look back at the best and worst seasons of the last 20-plus years of Fantasy Football. The Mount Rushmores at each position. The biggest breakouts or busts. That's a hell of a bust. Yeah, very impressive. And all the best memories from Fantasy Football since the late 90s. Relive it this week for five episodes with Fantasy Football Yesterday on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Today podcast. Maybe one day they'll come out with the fantasy football tomorrow job. Maybe I should <laughs> patent that first. It's available wherever you find find audio. Uh, Rashad, I started playing fantasy football by the way in 1990. I'm an OG 90 oh, brother. OG
0: in the game. OG in the game.
2: I, I was drafting like Jim Everett and and Rodney Hampton and yeah, there's like some old Andre Ware. Remember that guy the Heisman? Oh trophy? yeah,
0: oh yeah, oh yeah.
2: Talking about. All right, people don't come here though to hear our takes on fantasy football they want to hear the real deal Holy field that was ufc 249 this weekend uh just a reminder everyone if you're not woke to what rashad and i are doing on cbs sports hq right after the fights we're going live a lot of great previews analysis stuff you're going to hear us this week as well but rashad for anyone that missed your hot takes bro ham justin gaethje stole the damn show by walking through the fire against Tony Ferguson, stopping him in round five. We're certainly going to look at what's next. But how do you sort of frame what that damn magician, Trevor Whitman, your coach, has done to help Justin be the best he can be?
0: You know, it was beautiful. It was destructive. It was a good game plan, you know, and it was headed by those leg kicks. Those heavy leg kicks really was the, the, the thing that helped Justin Gaethje land those powerful shots and get to those angles because it ruined Tony's mo- uh, motion. You know, Tony's a good fighter who likes to move and works really good at moving forward. But when Justin Gaethje chopped those legs down, it pretty much destroyed him in every single asset because he couldn't move no more. He couldn't stand and plant and, and strike no more. And even when he was trying to initiate his grappling exchanges, he no longer had an explosion. So just with destroying that leg and Jason, Justin Gaethje can kick super hard, He was able to just solidify the fight, and then at that point, he was able to get to the angles and land these powerful shots. and Hats off to Tony Ferguson being able to take the kind of punishment. You know, when when you
2: it was a sickening level of of I'm gonna risk it all, like I'm gonna pour the damn jug out, Rashad. Like that, like we got to put that in a time capsule. That was maybe the most manly, you know, for better or for worse. That was the most man we've ever seen in one octagon.
0: I mean, I will say this. It's like when you're a fighter, you always want to go out on your sword. Like going out on your sword is a thing to do if you know you're losing a fight. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's just what – you it's part of the sport. And the way he accepted the fact that this could be it for him and, and he was like, you know what, I'm not going to – I'm not going to cower. I'm not going to quit. And he kept going forward. And he kept taking the punishment and didn't want to stop. That's a that's, – that's strong mentality because – a lot of people would have been looking for the way out, but he you're going to have to kill Tony, Tony Ferguson in to that fight.
2: And that's why even if you're going to play the card of, well, you know, Tony Ferguson shouldn't have made weight two weeks ago, or Tony Ferguson was preparing for Habib for six months, and then he had to switch gears. And I'm not saying some of that stuff didn't factor in, just like it's an unprecedented time with the, with the COVID, not knowing where the fight was going to be. All that matters. But yet at the same time, I'm not using any of that as a crutch to take away what Justin Gaethje did, because I really feel like, Rashad, although you can maybe criticize, why didn't Ferguson go to the ground more? Why not this or that? I feel like Gaethje got the best version of 36-year-old Tony Ferguson that you're going to get. I mean, he buckled and dropped him with an uppercut to end round two, and that uppercut from Ferguson would have finished anybody. And the fact that Gaethje was able to not only recover, but stay poised, within the violent structure of what he does well. This may be the best performance in terms of saying, look, he's still swinging for the fences every time, but he never got reckless. He never got gassed out he was able to somehow take this extremely heavy, violent attack and almost make it technical. Rashad, yeah. you, you can't do that. That's like, you, can, you can't have a freak and bring her home to mom if they don't go together like that, right? You know what uh, I'm no, saying? It, it,
0: was, it, was, it was very oxymoronic, his fighting style, and, and especially the way after the fight, you know, there, there wasn't that any visible damage. He wasn't damaged as much, even though he did take some pretty good shots and an uppercut you indicated, uh, sent him to the ground, but there wasn't that, that, that beating on his face or on his body you know you can see it was a, definitely a landslide on his side and um, you know w- w- for me though I think that with Tony Ferguson, and I thought this at the time when Tony Ferguson made weeks a couple, we- a couple weight a couple weeks ago, you know I thought it was a great thing as far as a mentality standpoint and being able to make sure that he's going to finish the job he started to do. but on the back end of that when you when you bring your body to cut weight and you are trying to get your peak your body for an event by bringing your body to cut weight, you can actually peak your body too early. And he might have peaked his body too early, not making an excuse for him, but at the end of the day, that may just be the reality of the situation. And when I was breaking down the analysis of the fight, that was one of the things that kept sticking in my mind, the starting and stopping of camps. Because I had a camp like that where it's starting and stopped, and started and stopped, And I felt as if like, I peaked a little bit too early. And then when I actually had a fight, I didn't have the same fire as I thought I would have had a few weeks ago when I was supposed to fight.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not going to say none of that counted, but I'm going to say that Tony somehow broke through that. And I felt like, I mean, like, look, again, um, we can't go any further without saying Tony Ferguson ate eight, 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 like 30 knockout shots, like the kind of shots that people just just fall. And he, he never went down or he went down to his knee for a second. And yet, so it's like, even if all that is true and he compromised himself in certain areas, he fought hard enough that it was as if, like you can't okay. lean on that it's as if like like you gotta give Justin Gaethje his credit and you know and I don't oh, want to quote coach Whitman here but like he took Rose Namajunas one of my favorite fighters ever love her skill set her demeanor her style and helped her figure out the very best she could be I know she got dropped on her head against Jessica Andrade but Rashad that round one was like perfection of who she could be as a boxer from the outside all that great stuff what he's doing with Justin Gaethje right now, it's incredible. Shout out to coach. I mean, it's, it's,
0: it It, it really is. And, you know, when I got knocked out by Machida when for me to get my confidence back into, to to get my winning ways back, I went to Trevor Whitman and Trevor Whitman, you know, he broke down my whole skills and, and and built them back up in a way that, that made it so that I understood, you know, the angles that I needed to be on and where, what was my fighting game, my fighting style. And I really, really, Flourish underneath Coach Whitman because of his coaching style and the fact that he's able to make you a teacher by his teaching style. You know the way he educates you; it makes you uh, so you're able to correct yourself when he's not around. You know he really makes it a cerebral game, and he makes you a better fighter. And I see the same thing with Justin Gaethje. You know I was talking to Justin Gaethje uh, weeks and weeks before this, and uh, he was talking to me about the angles that he was getting on. He was showing me some examples and some traps. uh, How how Trevor showed him how to set, and it's just like you know that's that. That, that perfect mindset that you get from a coach like Trevor Whitman has been in the game for a long time.
2: Shout out to Justin Yeah, uh, I, you know, t- I took the L publicly a few times and said, look, I, I didn't think it was possible that he could be this good, meaning that he could like, figure out how to be a little bit more poised and technical without losing who he was. And he figured it out. Now his ceiling is huge from the idea of, I can't count him out against Habib. This is a super fight. I mean, this is going to be a bad-ass fight if and when they make this. The last thing I want to say about Tony, though, before moving to what's next, uh, is the little lament here. He took a chance. We talked about it. He took a chance by fighting Justin when he could have just said, sorry, I, I, like, I'm never going to fight again until the title's in front of me and Habib's right there, right? He chose the other way of no one's going to carve my path for me. You need me to fight for this interim title against this psycho? I'm doing it. Now, look, shout out to the man there. But the 12-fight win streak is over. What they were building to against Habib is over. Five times over. Should we mourn that this may end up going down as, like, it's very few times in UFC history, credit to the organization, that we don't get the fights we want or deserve, right? The short list is so short that you're like, okay, Randy Couture and Fedor, but only because Fedor's team drove up the price and were hard to deal with, Um, and maybe like GSP, Anderson Silva. Besides that, or maybe John Jones, Rumble Johnson because Jones got arrested. Besides that, we get everything we want. This is Christmas morning. It's never going to be what it was, Tony versus Habib. Will you will you will you mourn that please for the people here? I mean, I, mean, I feel like we got to pour one out for our homies. <laughs> it
0: was going to be special, Rashad. It, it was going to be one for the ages, and you know, the uh, the fight fan and me, it deeply mourns that fight because I know that in that fight we would have seen a classic. I know in that fight we would have seen something that we would have never seen. I know in that fight we would have seen something like we've seen on Saturday night, you know. And and I think that you know forever we're going to be wishing and hoping, and I guess kind of. Uh, wondering what would have happened if those two would have met in their primes. And I don't think that their their paths will cross again at this moment where there would be, you know, a match like this. You know, I think that Tony Ferguson, you know, 36 years old and, and, you know, now I don't want to say he's on the back end of his career or nothing like that, but at the same time, you know, where his trajectory may be going versus where Habib's maybe just on age alone and physical uh, ability um, based on that age, you know, he may not have too much longer. So, You know, it's a young man's sport, and when you look at that, it does get sad to see that fight never – actually materialized and it was made like eight times
2: uh it's it's incredible it's that it's, <laughs> it's incredible uh i still think uh, and you know i'll go to my grave with this i still think tony ferguson was the guy If somebody you know and it may, it may end up being justin gaethje for all we know conor mcgregor could get back into superman mode and maybe be he'll be maybe not i, but I, yeah, like- I mean that that's a little, <laughs> a little too much okay it's a little too much, not, uh, like, too much. who knows not who knows, knows? This, know. but uh i feel like tony was really really the only guy I mean you know rip that suit off (laughs) show everyone your s. well which which (laughs) s? um what I'm saying is Tony I thought was the only guy but you know stuff happens and now we probably or at least we should have Justin Gaethje against Habib Nurmagomedov um shout out to your guy Ali Abdelaziz because he was the he was the the real MVP on Saturday night between (laughs) Justin Habib and all that he's got everybody in house as well as yourself but um Habib's doing Ramadan through May 23rd. He said he'd probably be back in August. Justin just did five rounds of hell. I know he he wasn't too banged up, but I mean, come on. He went five rounds with Tony Ferguson. He's not coming back next month. So that has to be next. It should be next.
0: I think it's the most responsible thing for it to be next.
2: Damn right it should be next. But when you have Conor McGregor in the bullpen, all bets are off, and you know this man, okay? Um, I know. I know that when – we're going to talk Conor. I know that when you're talking Conor – like he average in his big fights, he averages between seven and 11 million dollar live gate. So if you're Ooh. UFC, you do have to ask yourself, like, is it worth doing empty arena or maybe wait in six months? You know, like they got that problem to figure out. But Connor jumped the gun yesterday with a barrage of tweets in which he, Rashad, he was ripping everybody. Like if you ever came across him, he's calling you out. He said he would butcher Justin Gagee. He went on to restart up the Habib fight, which led to Habib coming back at him. He's killing Dustin Poirier. I mean, he's just killing people. But what's interesting is, you know, Ali was trying to get... He was trying to have his cake and eat it, too. He was trying to get Connor to want to go to Justin Gaethje, thinking that Justin was going to be on the outside looking in, and then the winner fight Habib. Now, suddenly, Connor's going, "I'll, I'll fight Justin, and I'll butcher him, and then the winner gets Habib. How do you gauge what Connor's trying to do public read. I mean, for all, you know, he could have had a couple shots deep of, of proper 12 and just been talking shit. But like, how do you gauge what just happened in the last 24 hours?
0: I mean, I mean listen, Connor. Connor is a genius when it comes to marketing himself and making sure the conversation never leaves him, you know, and, and that's what this is about. He doesn't want the conversation to leave him. He doesn't, he, he doesn't, he wants to grab onto that moment of just engaging, but Hey, listen, throw, throw his name in the hat. And, 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 and truthfully spoke uh, speaking, that's a smart move by him. You know, he should be trying to throw his name in the hat, but from speaking to Ali, his manager, Ali's like, listen, we offered Connor that fight before he, you know, he took the fight with, with with Donald, but he wanted, as Ali said, he wanted the easier fight. And And, then now, and it it, look, honestly, it was, it's the closest thing to a tune up fight for him. It was, yeah, it was was an easier fight. And then now that Justin Gaethje has momentum and had a great fight. Now he's, now he wants to fight him, and Ali is just like you know, sit down because when it was your turn to be this guy, you didn't want to be that guy, you know. So I I, I get that respect, but I also get Connor trying to make it so that hey, my name never leaves never leaves your mouth, you know what I'm saying? It, it, always on your mind.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, Connor always always in play here. Um, I will say that so it should be Justin. I hope it will be Justin. I think it will be Justin. But you do have to understand that, you know, Daniel White was on the, on the CBS Sports HQ and on this podcast last week. And I asked him, you know, a lot of people talking about Endeavor and money and that's why you're pushing to come back. And, you know, he shot it down. He said, those people are idiots. They have no idea. Look, honestly, I think there's some element there of realness. So with that, at any point, they may decide to cash in that lottery ticket. They may go, you know what? Habib Connor too is gonna break every record possible. Why are we waiting around? So you have to understand that is in right.
0: play. That is that I mean, and especially this, you know, you, you take the you, you were talking about what he does at a live gate. Now imagine those people that are that feverish for him at home now now they're gonna you know they're gonna buy up they're gonna buy it up you know and that's gonna be huge numbers that's gonna be like the kind of pay-per-view numbers that they used to get back in the day before they started giving away a lot of free shows you know glad you brought that it up because there was a lot i was
2: on a bunch of radio shows heading into last week and you know the debate was what do you think this pay-per-view is gonna do only game in town loaded card and i was like look i don't think it's gonna do incredible i think it'll do solid and the reason was because look In boxing or MMA, in pay-per-view history, people buy stars. That's why in boxing, there's no good fights under the main event. Why? Because there's no reason to in their mind. You only buy it because of Floyd or Oscar or Manny or Floyd and Oscar against each other or Manny. You know what I mean? Like, that's how that game works. It is true like that in UFC. Loaded cards don't necessarily mean you're getting another 500,000 pay-per-view buys. So I, I had questions. The early numbers that have been put out, did you see those? No, 100,000 pay-per-view buys. And and you have to understand in the ESPN plus era, that's even more impressive because when they do traditional pay-per-view, it's getting promoted. Every channel you turn on everywhere because the the, the pay-per-view company, you know, whatever your cable company is, they want in on it. They're getting a cut of this. They're promoting the balls out of it in the ESPN plus era. It's only getting promoted on ESPN. Right, and they did seven hundred thousand buys. Rashad in the year of our Lord twenty twenty. That's badass. That yeah. shows you that the hunger is there.
0: It, it definitely is, and especially like you said, you know, with everything you have to do to, uh, you know, to even to even get the whiff of there there being a UFC. It's just not like you know like coming on randomly and stuff like that. So you do have to go out of your way more. The average person to 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 be able to take part in a UFC event. And, uh, those are, those are some strong numbers. And that shows a good indication that the people are thirsty. They want this, you know what I'm saying? That the people need this, Uh, you know, it's something that, and I hate to say need, but when you think about this, when you think about the fact that so much of our life, everything is psychological, you know, and if psychologically speaking, you can't get your mind around anything normal, you can't, you know, find that place in your side to, to, to reset yourself, then you're not going to do well on any aspect. And I think that for a lot of people, this is what fighting brings to them.
2: That's true. That's true. I, I do have to, to finish on this Connor subject and get your opinion here because he's going to have to fight somebody. So here's the deal. Justin deserves it. Let's say they go in the Justin direction. Connor kind of pump fake the world on Friday. I don't know if you saw this. Dana put something out on Instagram. Nate Diaz responded with like a like a jab at him, and then Conor responded to Nate like, "Sign the contract, Nathan. Like, let's go." And everybody's like, "Whoa, that would make a lot of sense if you want to do Habib Justin because Justin deserves it. You want to keep Conor busy in a big fight that would attract an audience, but is kind of in its own world, right?" A right, right. About Nate Diaz at welterweight, it's in its own world. Dana, though, subsequently late Saturday said, there, "There's absolutely no truth to that. They're just talking shit, basically." Um what do you do with Conor McGregor right now? Because there was, a, there was a day last week we thought maybe he gets Jorge Masvidal, but again, I'm going to put out there, while that is a monster night at the box office for UFC, right? Masvidal could hurt him bad. So you do have to be careful. Like, ideally, if Justin gets Habib next, then you best believe UFC wants Conor to fight the winner. Like, you better, you bet your ass they want Conor to fight the winner. So what do you do with Conor in the meantime, Rashad? Get your Dana White hat on and tell me.
0: I think you just got to, like, Hold Connor down a little bit and just kind of, you know, get him to relax a little bit. I think that if you put him in positions where he wants to be right now, I don't think it's going to get him where he wants to be right now. If that makes any sense, you know what I'm saying. I think if he wants to fight with Justin Gaethje, I don't think he's going to make it to the fight with Habib. And and you know what I'm saying. So I think that you have to harness him a little bit and and just kind of understand that you know, a lot of these matchups may be a big risk for him if he wants that big pay-per-view. And taking a fight with um, Diaz, yeah, that that's a fun fight, but that may be another fight that takes him further away from the idea that he should be even in the conversation with a Justin or a Habib, you know? So I think that what you need to do is, I think you just need to just keep Connor at bay right now and keep him training, keep him, you know, uh, on a straight and narrow and just and – just, um 'Cause if you keep if unless you feed him somebody who he's going to who is gonna be something that he can actually do some work with, you know what I'm saying? Somebody like, you can, like you can an work Anthony with
2: Anthony Pettis? How about that? Like an Anthony Pettis who just beat Cowboy?
0: Like an Anthony Pettis, somebody who's gonna get some attention, somebody who's gonna go in there and give a good effort, somebody who's gonna, you know, fight, but you know, not 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 beat not beat him that's a fair point and i know look there's people that
2: are listening to this rashad that that don't think about don't care about or don't like the business aspect they're like what are you guys talking about why are you going to protect connor well dude like you got to be uh, like you got to understand how the game works it's an entertainment I mean, business UFC would protect connor hell yeah they would you gotta understand when he fights a second time it's gonna like they'll make enough money for three years worth i mean seriously like that's how the business works you build Toward the super fight, so you can't. There's only so much risk you can do. But um, wow, business is blooming here. Uh, let's get your take a couple days later now on that co-main event: Henry Cejudo stops Dominant Cruz. Yes, somewhat questionable stoppage there, but it it felt like it was going in that direction. hudo retires. Rashad, you and I both in the immediate aftermath were like, you know, I don't, I don't think he's retiring there. This seems like a power play. I gave you the take that I think it's not just I want to get paid more. I think he's smarter in him and Ali than we even realize. It's like, I'm going to give you back the Bantamweight belt so I have no obligation to fight Peter Jan, Sanhagen, uh, you know, all those guys, in Al Jermaine in a row, and I can just sit back and take whatever small weight super fight I can find, including maybe Alexander Volkanovsky for a third championship. Um, I think that's the reality. And then when Hudo goes in that press conference and is like, quote, Dana knows the number that will bring me back, I don't think. I, I mean, what? Come on, come on now, right? Yeah, That's not going right, anywhere. right, right. Come
0: on now. No, he he's not going anywhere. And listen, Henry Cejudo. It seems as if, even though he has tons of accomplishments, and he could walk away with this just on a basis that he's accomplished so much on in so many different sports, but there's something different about this sport that that with his accomplishments, it's like he's finding himself on another level, you know, you, you kind of see Henry Cejudo growing up in front of your eyes, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, you've you seen, you know, he, he's, he's got a girl now, and all those things, and you can kind of see his his mentality changing, you know, and he he's finding himself, he's finding his, 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 his trash talking and all that thing, so, so those are things that you know, that, that he's finding in himself and you just don't give that away. You just don't like, all right, I'm done. I'm gonna let that go. No, you you built something there. You just not gonna let let that go. So I think that goes to say, you know, his, his whole call uh, call that I'm going to retire. I think that was just a uh, strategy to be like, I need to make, I need to get more money. You know, he wants to be making some serious money for his, for his accolades and everything like that. And I think, you know, he, he, he is worth the money, but he's, he's, doing what he needs to do to make himself exciting and make himself uh, something that people want to talk about and doing things like saying things, I'm going to retire and, and things like that. That's, those are things that make people like, oh my gosh, what's going on with Henry? What's going on with Henry? And keep his name in a lot of people's mouths.
2: All right, I got a couple quick follow-ups here. Um, one, I'm, I'll ask you a hard question here. He has a lot of value to UFC because that Mexican-American fan base, which has carried boxing forever, UFC's... Never really been able to hit that thing hard, right? Cain Velasquez was great, but wasn't the guy for that. Shout out to Brown Pride. They haven't been able to find that person. He, you know, he he's that person. He could be that person, but there are some people who. So so that's him saying, "Look, I know my value. I know what I could be. I want to. I want super fights all the time. I want big time money. Do that for me." In a lot of ways, again, that's the one way. He pulled leverage on UFC, which is basically saying, "I already won your title; it has no meaning to me now. Take it back." I, I, I support his gamemanship there, but do you think there's any talk about this? The, he had, to get popular, he had to become like a like a like a weirdo, cringe guy. And look, it's a shtick. It, it worked. We talk about him; it worked. But like, is that the is that the true essence of of where his marketing could have gone as a american olympic gold medalist with a latino background who in real life is like a baby face in real life he's a great dude who didn't cut corners and did everything right and it's rashad sometimes it's that debate we get in the african-american community in in boxing specifically around floyd mayweather where he found success pissing people off purposely by being a villain and then we feel like as as white guy pundits if every black fighter after him doesn't take that same position, we go, oh, they're not marketable. Terrence Crawford, not marketable. Sorry, right? Does Cejudo right. have to do this
0: to get no, to get famous? No, I don't think he has to do this, but I think it, it's something, uh, a societal thing. I don't think that society, they're, they're, they're cheering for the good guy anymore. They're not, they're not, they're not you know, cheering for the guy who, who's done all the accomplishments because it's, it's, it's no fun in that. That's boring. That's boring to a lot of people, you know. The clean-cut guy—that's boring. They want somebody with with more edge because that, to them, symbolizes a real person and what realness is about. Mm. So when 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 Henry comes and he's um, being real or just kind of being corny or whatever the case may be, he's showing a bit of vulnerability. But in that vulnerability that he's showing, he's showing that he's a person, and and you know, and and I think that that's where you know people can kind of relate or kind of connect or the fact that he just kind of knocks himself down a little bit when he, looks corny, when he looks corny so it may make him more approachable to fans. Who, who knows? But whatever the case may be, people have a hard time resonating with the good guy. And, and I think that goes to speak more of what's going on in society versus a thing with Henry.
2: All right. To close on the Cejudo part of this factor, are there fights that we're not thinking of below lightweight, that can actually become, like, destination super fights for him. Now, look, if he had a chance at that featherweight title to become the first three-division champ, that's a great story. I'm sure he would prefer Volkanovski, who's short in stature, and it would be a better matchup for him. Dana just came out publicly and said, I'm going to make Max Holloway Volkanovski, too. Uh, Are there any names out there that he could really milk? I mean, it's different when you're fighting Dom Cruz or Aldo when you have the belt. As just an individual, like – is there actually a market for him to be to become what he wants to be
0: i think so i think there is a market you know i think in that weight class spectrum between uh you know that 135 and 140 i think there there's a lot of synergy there i think there's a lot of good guys there who are uh pretty even you know pretty even and uh you know the guys at 145 you know they they're um a lot like the guys at 135 but just a lot bigger and a lot taller you know and that's and that's one thing that, that we, we, we you know, I mean, he's he's used to being the smallest guys, but we don't know how big that size difference can be. You know, how big can he overcome a guy being bigger than him? You know, what's, outside, what's the limit?
2: But outside of chasing a title, are there actually enough older established names that people would care about? Like if he's no. trying to fight Frankie Edgar, would people care? If he's trying to fight Uriah Faber, would people no, care?
0: They wouldn't care. They wouldn't care, to be honest. No.
2: It's interesting. I mean – some people are, I mean, these are casuals. Casual people are like, well, why can't he just meet Conor McGregor at a catchway? Uh, can you, wait, that, come on, come on, come on, people, get out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hit one thing on Dominic Cruz, who I felt like, you know, shout out to Dominic Cruz. Three and a half, four years removed from the game. He came in very game. Uh, it was Sohudo's leg kicks that really kind of closed the door on Cruz's path to potential victory. But Cruz, who is such an inspirational figure, such a guy I respect so much. In fact, I respect him too much so that he was talking me into thinking he can pull this upset on Saturday. He flipped the script and was like, uh, not only did Keith Peterson, the referee, screw me, but the dude smelt like alcohol and cigarettes and wouldn't look me in the eye during the pre-fight meeting when I tried to tell him that I need to be knocked out to lose. This is a championship fight. I'm going for it. Don't stop the fight. He says Peterson not only wouldn't look him in the eye, but this was the first time he ever had a referee who he just felt like maybe this guy was out in the parking lot, you know, with a, like, this is, like, this is the type of comments, like, Alistair felt it. Steepe tapped, right? You hear that from Alistair? Yeah, like,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. Really, guy? Uh, this doesn't, it's, Cruz it's, had a chance to to fix it on the Area Hawani show yesterday, and he doubled, he doubled down. down? Oh. What's going on here, Rashad?
0: I, I don't know. You know, honestly, it's it's unfortunate because, um he's such a good voice in the space when it comes to giving his analytical opinion and everything else like that but then this you know not being able to do it be able to take self criticism or being able to criticize yourself in the same capacity in which you've done others it it doesn't bode well for you in the future when you want to make comments about other people you know and that and that's one thing that you know that you have to think of when you're when you're an analyst and whenever you're in put in a position where you have to fight and you lose, you know. Whenever I was in a fight and I lost, it was my turn to wear the hat, and I had to remember everything that I said about everybody else when they lost, and in turn I had to to wear it on myself. I had to you know watch videos of myself getting knocked out and then sit there and interview or talk to the guy or talk about the guy as you know about him knocking me out, and and that's just part of the sport, uh, part of part of being an analyst, and I think that what Dom is doing is that he just re he's re he's in his emotion. And I think once he gets emotional clarity, he's going to look back and be like, man, I really should have handled things differently, but um, he, he's just heartbroken, you know, and that heartbreak. It's, it's that, not
2: him though. That That's know, not, it's him.
0: not, it really, it really, it really isn't. It, it's, it's not.
2: Like, and if there's any true, like, look, I'm not going to sit here. Keith Pearson's a great referee. I mean, John Anik always does the the no-nonsense joke because that guy comes in there and gets his job done. I mean, if if he actually believes that, then, like, file a formal protest and go that route. Right. But, like, to just sit here and whine, like, I, I expected him to come on Ariel Hawaii yesterday and be like, I screwed up, guys. I was in my, you know, I was in my feelings. I was over-emotional. I was competitive. Um, I lost that fight. Instead, he's like, you know, give me my opportunity to get knocked out. Um. You know, there's certain warriors that live by that code, and when they say that, like if a Jorge Masvidal said that, you're like, okay, I get it, right? You're a yeah. badass. That's that's your thing.
0: Um, I, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. For me. I mean, when, when you're when you're a referee in there, and your job is to to to, to help, so, you know, to to make sure someone doesn't get hurt too bad, you're not really like you go in automatic mode. You know what I'm saying? You just know you you're used to just preventing a situation. So when you see it, despite what that person may have told you. You're going to intervene just because it's become a natural instinct to you. You know, when you've roughed so many fights, you, you've, you've turned so many things into just instincts just because you need to. Whenever you do anything, you need to turn some things into instincts just so you be able to react in a moment's notice. And, that, I mean, that's just part of the game. You know, sometimes you see referees call fights where you kind of can deba- debate. But when you're making a moment, uh, a decision in a moment's notice, you have to be able to, you know, do what you need to do for the protection of the fighter. And I think that's what Keith was doing.
2: It's a tough situation. Uh, the last bit of, of uh, talk I wanted to do on 249 was that heavyweight bout when Ga- Francis Ngannou just freaking walked through Jair Rosenstruck in like 20 seconds. I mean, you and I talked about this on CBS Sports HQ. The dude just uncorked like a seven-punch combo and was like, deal with it. One of these is going to hit your chin, and one of these is going to go off like a grenade. Um, the story here is what happens next, but hit us up with what happened then. He might be the scariest individual at any single point in UFC history. That's a bull-ass statement, but like, deal with it. Like, that's a scary mf'er. And now that he's mentally been through the fire of having lost and having lost his invincibility, he's he's more dangerous than ever before.
0: He really is, and I think the like you said that deconstruction that he did. And now he's built himself up into you know something on a mental force, you know, that, that rivals his physicality. And I think that was missing before. And you know, now, you know, you, you just seen the confidence in him just, just when he's standing in the cage. But you know, when that fight started, he just went across the cage. He knew he didn't want to play the whole feeling out game or none of that. He just went in there and handled business and unleashed a combination. And and the, the fact that he just threw caution through the wind. It just shows the confidence that he has in his hands to know that, yeah, I'm going to throw like this, but I know if I catch you, it's done, you know? And, and, and that, that's, that's what, you know, the thing with Francis that makes him so scary is before we knew that he had that power, but now we know that he has that confidence that goes along with throwing those big, powerful punches. And that's dangerous for heavyweights, man. Super that's dangerous.
2: That's scary as all heck. Uh, the, the, the real story is what happens next. Because Nganu's four consecutive first-round KOs against, let me remind you, like uh, Curtis Blades, Kane Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, and unbeaten Rosenstruck mm-hmm. is insane. And it all came within like 71 seconds or less. So he needs a title shot. Problem, of course, is Stipe Miocic has no access to his gym he wants to, fight, or UFC wants him to fight DC in a trilogy bout next. Uh, Stipe has said on, you know, on this show last week, you know, I ain't fighting until I get the full training camp. Like, let's do this right. So here's the update on that. DC was funny during Saturday's broadcast and said, you know, I'd love it. I want Ngannou to get a title shot more than anyone, just not against me. He was joking, but like, he was letting you know that like, this guy's a beast. DC then did a, uh, an interview with somebody where he was like, look, um, Stipe's not ready. I'll fight Nganu for an interim title if I have to. Let's do it. So Stipe comes out on Twitter yesterday and goes, I've already said I'm going to fight DC. He just likes to make noise. My team is working on securing a training location and dates with UFC. I have five belts at home. I don't need to sit on anything. If I didn't have a torn retina, I would have fought and retired DC already. Love that. Love that energy. DC comes back a couple hours later with Champ. That's perfect. That's all I want to hear. Just give me a date. That's it. Let us all know. You said in the fall. When in the fall is all we're asking. So, Rashad, like, as great as Ngannou has been, the fight to make is still, sti- as you would say, Stipe D. Say three. Um, <laughs> because, like, the winner's the best heavyweight in UFC history. Like, this is Ali Frazier crap. This is great. But what do you do with Francis Ngannou in the meantime? I mean, can you put the guy in the bullpen? I don't know his financials. I can't say you're not fighting for nine months. Like, what do we do here?
0: I, I, you know, that's an interesting uh, question because – you know, until Rosenstreich stepped up to fight him, he really had no one there to fight him. You know, so um, it's going to be a while. I, I don't, I don't really foresee anybody being in that position or even wanting to take that fight with him. And and as far as the UFC is concerned, you know, they they've run out of answers as far as what they can do with him in the meantime because this fight with DC and Stipe has taken so long. But I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I think that. If you're, if you're Francis's team, you just keep him in the wings and you just work on all those things that he need to work on, you know, as far as, you know, making him that much better with wrestling because you, you have to make him for the fight that he's potentially going to have. So he maybe had a fight with DC. So he should be working with somebody who's, got that Olympic wrestling background who can help him? you know, work on that chain wrestling that, you know, DC does to those punches and all that unorthodox jamming up style that DC's really known for and effectively known for. So I think that, you know, that's, that's the move for Francis right now. And he, he, he I mean, he, how long was he training before this fight? You know, what was it like? He was, he was on a long training, uh, you know, like, what was it? seven months or something like that a few months he was training for this one so he's he's been waiting in the wings for a while absolutely
2: uh can't wait to see what's next uh i could be here all day going fight by fight we gotta we gotta roll on but before i do there was a little bit of controversy about uh look the ufc spent a lot of money to put on testing for this fight yeah every fighter got the the blood test they got the nose thing with the thing they jam into your brain and Jacare ends up popping, you know, uh, asymptomatic for it. And it was tough to see him and two members of his team. But the whole timeline thing was the debate where Jacare told UFC ahead of time I was exposed to a family member who had it. So they claim they had him sequestered alone. But yet you saw on Fabricio Verdum's Instagram video that like Jacare is high-fiving everyone and hanging out within like a foot away with a mask and gloves on. Look, I don't know what the deal is, but it seemed like, he was exposed to many people before they figured out the results of his test. I don't know how long that takes. I'm not an epidemiologist and all that crap. But UFC afterwards came out and said, like, you know, everything was fine. He was, you know, immobilized by himself. Well, he wasn't. We saw it on the video. So if nothing bad comes out of this, they certainly learned a lesson on how to do it even better. Like, we, Ariel Hawani reported that they sent out, a, uh, you know, a, a – emailed all the fighters, said, look, if you've been around even anyone with a sniff of this, let us know now before you drive or fly this way, which is smart. But um, were you okay with the way that whole thing was handled? Because it looks like in the UFC official statement, they were a little bit off. And again, I'm not here to like, I'm not one of these media members that's trying to make the fights not happen. I want the fights. This is my, like, I want it. I do want everybody to be safe, though. You think they kind of dodged a bullet here with Jacare?
0: I think, I think they did a really good job with Dirt Jacare as far as, you know, the, the way they handled the fight and everything like that, because listen, th- this whole thing is new and this is the first sport back, uh, to business after that whole thing. So there's going to be some hiccups in a way. And no matter what organization there, there would have been some unforeseen things that happen just because it, it's new. So I think despite all of that, I think the UFC, they did a really good job of handling that situation. And, um, you know, that, that is something that a lot of fighters are going to have to think about, you know, when, when, when they uh, are signing these contracts for these camps, you know, do I have to go away to be in camp so that way I'm isolated, I'm not around anybody who can get me sick, you know, you know, not being around family members and things like that. You know, I used to go and isolate myself at camp and go to uh, Denver and Albuquerque when I did my camp and I was away from my family. So some people may find that may help them, who knows, but you know, I think the UFC has definitely taken the right step to making sure that they're able to compete and make sure the fighters are safe while they're doing so.
2: Now, the only wild card to this, the asterisk, is the whole NDA, non-disparagement agreement contract, that apparently all the fighters had to sign. It leaked out. Actually, Showtime sports president, Stephen Espinoza kind of leaked it out. Kevin only got a copy of it. He called up Dana. Dana said, this is normal. It's in every contract. It just says if you lie about us, we could take away your purse and your bonuses. But if you put out, you know, criticism of us, that's fair. That's your opinion. Everything's okay. Well, people who have legal backgrounds actually research the contract and we're like, that's not what it says, Dana. It says, basically, if you say anything bad about them at all, they can come and take your money. Now I want your take in a second. My take is, To me, it's that's way too far. But look, it's an employer and employee relationship. You know, I've worked for different corporate companies and there's certain things you can and can't say publicly when you're working for them. That's their issue. My issue is a little deeper with the fact that the media was forced to sign this upon entering. I think it's one thing to sign a paper that as a media member or fighter or trainer that says, if I catch COVID while I'm there, I'm not going to sue you. I'm taking a chance being there. That, I agree with that 100%. Right. We're in uncertain, wild times. UFC should not be bound to that. But if you're having a media member sign something that says, I can't say something or I face this, that's like communism to me. Where do you stand? Because you're both an ex-fighter and a journalist now, now part of this media game. Is that, is that copacetic to you? This is like, uh, this, is, this ain't good. This ain't good to me. It smells funny, Rashad.
0: I think, I think journalism has to be kept as journalism. You know, I don't think you need, you, you can restrain journalism in, in, in that respect, because when you do that, it loses its point. You know what I'm saying? It's just not journalism anymore. So I think that, um, I, I don't think that they should be, be doing that, but I think that they, sh- you know, people should, you know, be responsible and held accountable for what they do right. You know, I think that, you know, if, if somebody does put out something hellacious and not true, then they should have to uh, be held accountable for that. But at the same time, um, being told with the right is never a good recipe for freedom.
2: Yeah. And, and, and it, what about the fighter aspect? Are you okay with that from a fighter standpoint?
0: I'm, You know, for a fighter standpoint, you know, because of the conditions and because they're trying to pull this off when, you know, truthfully speaking, you know, they can make it so that we're all sitting at home or, you know, not doing anything, then then I can understand that because they're trying to do something and they're taking a huge risk uh, legally wise by doing so. So they have to protect themselves on a legal basis because if they don't do that, then they can find the UFC organization being taken by whoever. You know what I'm saying? So I, I do understand that, and I think that the fighters should do that if they want to fight.
2: And look, I understand that. Like even in the concept of journalism, things have changed. When you have TV networks that have stakes in the game ESPN has a stake in a UFC succeeding. Right. So there's a reason why all those great ESPN journalists haven't been criticizing Dana the last three, you know, four months when he was in a mode where you could actively criticize him. You remember this? I've had a great run, Right. If the coronavirus is what's going to get me, let's do it. Ring it. I'm okay, ready, like corona. like that yes. deserves criticism. They couldn't <laughs> say it. I, I'm assuming they couldn't say it. And look, I used to work for ESPN. There was certain things <laughs> I couldn't say publicly. There's probably things under the Showtime CBS flag that I shouldn't say and wouldn't. I get that. I think it's different when you're when somebody's uh, you know doesn't work for you and they're there to cover. But I just hope that is not where we continue. Oh, we're going to take a pause for the cause. shot on the other side. We got Matt Mitrione stopping by. We got a preview of a Wednesday night card that we need to see, UFC Jacksonville fight night. Uh, After a quick word from our friends and sponsors, dig it. All right, we're back. BC, Sugar, Rashad, uh, we're going to bang.
0: Let me bang with somebody. All right, we
2: bring it. uh, Speaking of, uh, before we get into the preview, we got Matt Mitry on stopping by. A couple bits of news I want to run by you here, Rashad. Uh, What the hell's going on with USADA here? Um, Our guy, Kelvin Gastelum, I love that guy. Uh, What he did against, against Israel Adesanya and that loss and that fight of a lifetime, I'll always have respect for him, you know, getting himself to that level, got a second failed test for marijuana, and now he's got to sit out nine months. Four years just for weed? Damn! Um, Rashad, times have changed fairly quickly. You're on Joe Rogan talking about psychedelics. And while a year ago, people might have been like, this is wild. Now there's like legitimate medical backup of where this could help PTSD. Like we are in a new space with things right. like marijuana and and potential medicinal drug uses. Or even, even if it's not medicinal at this point, the guy's a fighter for a living. Can he get high after work? Yes. Can he take down a six pack? It's all the same at this point. What are we doing, USADA?
0: It, it, it's, it's a true disconnect between... You know what is it really actually working for fighters when it comes to rest and recovery, and what they deem effective, you know, and 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 everything like that. There's a huge disconnect because when when fighters get done from training and we get done from sparring, uh, THC, CBD, those are the things that that help us to help with inflammation, help with anything that we help have to help us recover, so we're able to do it again. So I think that you know. Um, you know, it's not so much just about getting high. It's about being able to uh, recover the body the best way without taking anything that's going to make you pop, you know, dirty with, with you know, in any uh, hormone-altering uh, Right, and you're substances. in the business
2: of aches and pains. You're in the business right. of the fighting, yeah. of, of training your body and working hard. Like, I feel like this type of um, crackdown only – opens the door for more like opioid addictions and more like wrong Agreed. direction to turn.
0: Agreed, yeah.
2: And I know there's probably some big pharma conspiracy crossover there that we should probably not talk about right now, but uh, uh, all I'm saying is this. He was in the state of California where it's damn legal. Right. Like, come on, you have seen, you shot it. Be progressive at this point. What the hell are we doing? I don't know if he's going to fight that. I hope he fights it. I feel like I want to well, go fight it for him. Like,
0: come well, on. Some, well, some states some states have different allowances of what they'll let you go get away with, like – when I fought in Vegas, you know, I, w- I had to stop smoking like uh, I think it was like a week before the fight, and then in Chicago, I wasn't able to smoke like I was I had to stop smoking like uh, like a month before the fight because it would stay in your system. So it, it's what you know is what each state allowed, and it depends you have to know which which state you're fighting in, and it will let you know what you're able to do as far as the THC consumption in your body.
2: Absolutely, uh, that's this was. This blew me away. This was just not <laughs> thing I expected to be reading there. Um, wow, wow, wow! All right, uh, I'm trying to see what else I missed. For uh, I think we hit it. Oh, um, speaking of standing in the Hall of Fame, our boy GSPI oh. impressed. By your I'm per- not impressed by your performance I'm impressed by your poor performance there GSP He's going to go in the class of 2020 This year at some point They're not sure when it's going to happen He's going in in the modern era He's the, he's the name and the face for this year's class um, We know you love and respect this man uh, Of course he deserves it But uh, you got any GSP stories? You got anything extra? Oh
0: my gosh GSP story They got a ton of GSP stories <laughs> Some I can't share Most of them I can't share <laughs> But uh I I um one time GSP uh you know GSP was deathly scared of aliens, you know. And when Greg Jackson had his first come, like whenever you come into Greg Jackson's camp, he would have you stay in his house and just so he get to know how you are as a person. So Greg had this room where it was like a sky a s a sky roof, you know, with like a hole in the ceiling, you know, where you can see outside, you know, sky sky dome over the room. And uh GSP Sleeping at Rome. And then the next day I talked to him. He was, I was like, How was your sleep last night? He's like, My God, my friend, I got no sleep. And I was like, Why? He says, Well, because I kept having these thoughts that the aliens would fly over the house and pick me up through the windows. <laughs> And he was going on and on, talking about how afraid he was because he's afraid that al- the aliens were going to abduct him through the sky windows <laughs> at You should shut, shut up. You're embarrassing yourself
2: right now. Are, are you still drunk right now? Are you still drunk? Or what, was still no, young? no, but I'm not... But what is going on with him? That, that was weird, by the way, hearing him talk trash, trying to talk trash with this thing. That, that was crazy. But, uh, man, I love that guy. You know what? I know, like, he'll go in for his greatness, for his consistency, for... I mean, he's, you know, he was a well maybe the first real well-rounded mixed martial artist at the elite level every there's so many things you could talk great about him but how much how about just his clash and professionalism like yeah. he's like the, that's why i get mad when dana wasn't into the idea of him having a chance to become the first three division ufc champion by fighting habib and look i get dana's point was you're going to win another belt and then drop it on us and, and not defend it but like that's the one guy that like like Jerry West is the NBA logo. GSP to me should be the UFC logo. Like that's your poster boy for how it should be done, Rashad.
0: I agree. You know, when it comes to just so so many things with GSP, you know, but morality is one of the things that, um, you know, he 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 is, uh, in my opinion, you know, head and shoulders above the rest. You know, he's he's one of those guys who is just like one of the most caring. Uh, fighters I ever met, you know, a really good guy, um, Give you the shirt off his back. Uh, just, just super caring and a hard worker at that too. And, and it's kind of crazy because you see like, you know, the, the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryant, and they had that, that way about them of perfection, but they were kind of, they were dickheads, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they weren't nice people, you know, and and it's great. And it's refreshing to see someone who reaches the standards of GSP and that perfection and still, Be a good person and still, you know, talk to people with respect and not be uh, a dick.
2: (laughs) Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, Other quick bit of news. In light of the Cejudo retirement, Dana White was quoted late Saturday and saying, uh, we're we're going to move quickly and get a vacant Bantamweight title bout going and it will be Peter Jan against somebody else, who do you think that somebody else should be in an already crowded division, and I know Jan already had a fight schedule. do you remember against was it Maraish, was it
0: Maraish. who
2: do you who do you think it should be for for this vacant bout
0: oh man, um I kinda like Aljo, yeah, he's I, deserving i kinda like aljo i just i just feel as if like um I just feel like Aljo is. Is now get into that like he he's he's there he's there now you know he's ready and I think that Peter Yawn is phenomenal and and just you know there I think that Peter Yawn uh, Elgin may bring on some levels in Peter yon that we haven't seen you know the, the the ground and the grappling aspect that we really haven't seen of Peter Yawn so I think that it'd be a good fight.
2: Uh, the last bit of news was uh, Bryce. Bryce Mitchell, that's the guy's name, right? The, uh, the, who looked the featherweight, the unbeaten 25 years old from Arkansas, thug nasty, who looked insanely great in against Rosa on Saturday. Like he tried, he was up in that ass. I mean, he was trying to get a submission, twisters. I mean, he was doing everything. But afterwards, he made headlines by saying, I want to get the coronavirus, like somebody inject me. So that my body can become immune to it, Rashad. I know you don't have that degree yet in epidemiology, but is this guy talking talking sense or what's going on here?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I, I I don't even know, man. It, you know it, it, that 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 um, I don't know. That that's a uh, that's that's one to unpack. There, you know. I think is I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Oda
2: Mitchell. He did have a, uh, a hell of a performance there.
0: All right, we're going to throw it to, to Matt Mitrione.
2: Uh, he's going to tell us about this collaboration between Bellator and CBS Sports. He's going to relive his journey in that Grand Prix last year. He's also going to talk a lot of trash about how much he hates that, quote, fat, vagrant Roy Nelson. So get ready for this coming at you right now. It's Matt Mitrione. Enjoy. Give me the meathead. That Bellator heavyweight sensation, Matt Mitrione, sir, how are you holding up during this quarantine?
1: What's up, baby? What's going on, man? I mean, people, um, I'm holding up great, man. I, I'm, I got a house. I'm doing a little bit of work on. I always do that when I get kind of bored. So oh, I'm in here just working on my house, brother, and just hanging out, living the dream.
2: All right. I like that. I like that indeed. Um, you know, Matt Mitrion, a great way to kill the quarantine, so to speak. Maybe that's the wrong word is, uh, watching some old fights. And we got a nice little collaboration here between CBS Sports and Bellator MMA. We're calling it Bellator MMA recharged on the CBS Sports Network. Big John McCarthy's your host. Kicks off April 25th on a Saturday night, every Wednesday night after that, 8 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to give the fans Matt Mitrione versus Roy Nelson in a nice replay from that Bellator World Grand Prix heavyweight tournament. Um, I mean, I, I could think of a worse way to kill the quarantine than catch up on some old badass fights. What do you remember about that little contest?
1: You know, what I remember most is that I got to kick the shit out of that bloated vagrant and it felt so good to punch and kick him in his face, uh, and his legs. Like, just a, like, it was such a, a lovely experience. I'm not a big fan of, of, uh, of, of Roy Nelson at all. So like, so literally causing him damage felt mighty, it was actually pretty nice, actually all around. Well, that of so, uh, course... it was nice, and then on top of that, to beat him, he felt even better.
2: Uh, absolutely, that was a rematch of a uh, rivalry that went back to 2012 when he got a win over you in the Ultimate Fighter finale. Uh, then you two che, traded some trash talk back and forth. Even after, are we ever going to see a third fighter? or no, no need for that? No need.
1: No, nah, he, he got his ass kicked pretty early in this one. Uh, I'm not really interested in it. Plus, like the the the, the bloated vagrant actually cheated or uh, to try to beat me, and he still lost. So in my opinion, he can go straight to hell. I, I have no time for him. And look, man, if you're going to try to cheat to win, then that's your fault. But if you're, if we're actually considered friends before that and then you cheat in the middle of the fight against a friend, then you're just a douchebag in my opinion. So I'm glad I got to whoop that bloated, that, that bloated piece of trash. And, uh, I'm glad he lost. That's pretty much the, how I feel.
2: That's the thing. People don't realize Matt Mitrion's one of the best quotes in all of MMA, right? I mean, come on, you know, just, just slinging it and bringing it here. Uh, Matt, we've seen a lot of crazy reactions, um, to this odd time off. You know, some people think we should be fighting tomorrow. Other people think, man, you shouldn't leave the house for another 18 months. From your standpoint, um, when you see Dana White, for example, trying to put an island together to make fights happen, are you okay with it from the fighter perspective? Is it time now to get back to regular life
1: i i think I think that Mr. Coker made the correct decision when he did to cancel what he did because there were so many questions, so many unknowns, uh, so many variables that were just not under control at all, and I think nowadays it's, it's time. I think that it's each individual's decision okay, look, yeah, I'm down to go ahead and sign my name to this. And let's go ahead and get weird. Um, and I think that, uh I think it, if you're not cool with it, then don't sign the paper. Uh Everybody's going to get tested. Everybody's going to make sure that they're healthy, uh, which is what they did with us as well, and they still decided to cancel it. But I think now it's up to each individual's discretion. I know if they were to say, hey, look, we're going to be putting on fights in June, I'd say, okay, cool. Let me fight the first weekend in June. Let me fight the last weekend in June. Let's start doing this. I'm ready to work, and I- I've got being cooped up with your wife and kids, you know, makes you just ready to go out and start getting after it. So I'm ready, buddy. I'm ready to go work.
2: Yeah, that is the truth on the, on the on that sentiment you shared right there. Indeed, I, I even got man, <laughs> manly and bought a chainsaw. I'm 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 cutting crap down outside to try to kill this time. Indeed. Um, in terms of the actual fight, Island is that um responsible?
1: Um, I mean, you know, honestly, man, uh, I don't see anything wrong with the idea. I don't know if like. Tangibly, it can work or logistically, if it can work at all, which I think is why it got, um, scuttled the first time. But I think that, uh, if it works, cool, man. It's a great opportunity for everybody to get another paycheck. Um, but idea wise, you know, Dana's a visionary, um, and he goes after stuff on certain levels. And he, if he can see it as a viable possibility, he'll do it. I know that Mr. Coker is, uh, Scott Coker, our, our president, Bellator's, um, he's, he's a realist. He's, uh, he always has fighters in mind. So I think that they probably had a conversation about it and didn't think it was, it was really a viable commodity and decided not to pursue it. But Dana is the one that typically takes risks and a little bit more adventurous.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you've had a, a really but fun... you got to co- remember something.
1: you got to remember something, that um, that all the, all the paper and notes are coming due for W&E. Uh, and um, it, it, that's, a, that's a big bill to have to pay. So if they're not, not raking in dough, then they're in some trouble.
2: Indeed, I think that is a big part of this uh, this push to make it happen. And uh, I do shout out Scott Coker, as you did, for paying those fighters that weren't na- weren't able to fight at that initial card, which was canceled. Um, as far as your career, Matt Mitrion, you're 41 years old, but you got into this game late, coming off of your NFL run. You've you've you had uh, a lot of high moments here. I mean, you knocked out Fedor Emelianenko in Madison Square Garden for crap's sake. Who's next on your list? What? Where are you at in your career in terms of um, the challenges you want to face? What goals you still have? What's going on here?
1: You know, man. Um, I'm really uh, I, I I'm fortunate. Where I really don't care that much. I really want to have the best opportunities. I I don't win at all costs because I've lost my fair share, but I compete at all costs. So when they call me up and say, "Hey, let's go ahead and get down here." If it's worth my time, absolutely, man. Let's go ahead and get down. Let's see, what, see what's happening. Um, so name-wise and whatever else, uh, you know, I would love the opportunity to fight Caraton off again. Uh, I, I feel like the first one was a shame what happened. Second one, he beat me fair and square. Like, granted, I had a mouthpiece issue, whatever else. But there was that dude's game plan that kept him patient, his boxing skill and ability. Uh, and that's why he taught me that uppercut, because he saw me get impatient and I rush in, and he threw exactly what he should have thrown. I'd love the opportunity to scrap him again, uh, but I doubt that'll happen. But um, other than that, man, it really kind of, whoever the boss calls up and says, hey, we think this is a good matchup and we think we're going to do it. Cool, man, let's sign that piece of paper and let's get weird, you know.
2: I like that. I like that. Speaking of getting weird, when you when you made contact and kicked Karatanov in the stick, did you think he could have continued?
1: Um, you know, I, I'd like to think that I, I'd throw some lumber in my left chin. So you know, hopefully, his, his, you know. what? he said that I I kicked him in his nuts so hard that that uh that he got a hemorrhoid out of it. Oh, so, God! I don't know if somebody kicked me in his so hard I popped a vein in my butthole. I'd probably not fight either. Wow!
2: Wow! Indeed. Yeah. Um, Matt Mitrione, yeah. we do a lot of work here with with my good friend Sugar Rashad Evans on this podcast, the UFC I'm Hall like of that, Famer.
1: Dude, is such a damn good dude. didn't mean.
2: He's the absolute best, and I do remember him being your coach back on season ten, the heavyweight season of the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, what do you remember about that time working with Rashad?
1: You know, man. Um, you know, so I still call him coach. I still call him coach, John. Um He's such a good dude, bro. I, I just, I really admire him as a human being. Like his, he's, he's so much more than a fighter. He's educated. He's casual. He's, um, he's an educator. He, he's patient. Um, he's giving with knowledge. I mean, dude, he's, he's such a good dude and he's been so good to me and my family. Uh, and, and, and not even just me, but like young bucks in the gym. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult at times when you're experiencing the game, right? And it has, have done so much as, as, as Koshad has that like you don't necessarily impart knowledge on people because you don't know if they're going to heat it. Or if they're going to be around long enough to make it worth your while to actually teach them. And Coach Shad, I've never seen shy away from investing in anybody, whether they're a newcomer or a, a, an old dog like Robbie Lawler or myself. Um, they're always there and he's always there to help and, and, and be uh, the best team player he can be. And I think that's one of the primary reasons I admire him so much as, as a person. Oh, and that's what I take the most from him.
2: I can appreciate that for sure. Uh, did he officially give that you
1: the longest endorsement? Wasn't it?
2: That wow. was. I mean, I, uh, is he running for president here? That was fantastic. Um, did did he in fact give you the nickname Meathead? Is that a Wikipedia fact?
1: He he did not. I was actually I was named Meathead back in high school. Probably when I was like fifteen or sixteen or something like that. Uh, my coach Jimmy McMahon, D-line coach, uh, gave it to me, but. Coach is the one that, that revived it and brought it out to the MMA world.
2: There it is. I like that indeed. Um, I don't think we talk enough, sir, about your your football career. You know, whether it be your success in the Big Ten in Purdue or with the New York Giants. What should people know about you, the football player, if they're if they're MMA only and they don't get down on that side?
1: You know, I I would say that I was I was a good college player. Um, and when I got to the NFL, I realized that there are some people that are just such abnormally capable freaks of nature. Um, and those are the people that stick around the NFL for a long time. I'm a damn good athlete. Uh, but those dudes that, that can play for a while and make a career out of it are just truly exceptionally athletic human beings. I mean, they are, it is such a gift, uh, to be able to play that sport for that long and be and get paid for it. But it is an incredibly different animal altogether to be good at that sport and, and, and to make a, a a lifestyle and a retirement out of it.
2: Yeah, indeed. Do you have a a a favorite moment? Uh, I mean, when, when you when you bounce the kids on the leg and retell the football days, is there an Al Bundy four four touchdowns in one game moment? What do you point to?
1: Um, in the NFL, you're referring to, is that correct? Or are you talking about Justin You general? know,
2: college, NFL, you know, whatever
1: you got for me. You know, I, I intercepted a pass against Michigan State. I tipped a screen pass to myself, intercepted it, and ran it back 18 yards, touchdown, and I juked the quarterback on the way into the end zone. Wow. That would probably be my Al Bundy moment. Um, I love but that. But I had a bunch. We had, we had some really awesome experiences, like, I remember one with Drew Brees that – actually, I, ta- I talked to Drew. Last time I saw Drew, um, I talked about it, and I told him the one play that I admired the most from him in his, in his playing career, um, and that there was one player I could I could literally credit for making Drew the player that Drew is, uh, other than Drew himself, like an outside player. Uh, and, I, and I talked to him about that, and it was a really – it was cool, man. It was a good experience.
2: I like that. I like that indeed. Uh, I love the, the, the trash talk you were willing to share about Roy Nelson. Um, But like we said, that rivalry may be over. Is there anybody else who is you know, still...
1: You can call him a vagrant, a dirtbag, a bloated... You can call him anything you want. That's okay. fair.
2: That's fair indeed. Is there anybody else that is still owed a receipt by Matt Mitrione? I mean, that guy, uh, uh Hoppa Brown, puffed your eye up into crazy levels.
1: <laughs> you know, it... it... It, no, because Travis was doing what, uh, what Travis should have done. He was, the fight wasn't stopped because of, because my eye, my, that, those eye gouges. Um, it was my fault. Cause I said that I, I was going to continue. I knew it was my last fight in the UFC. It was my fault. I should have been like, you know what? I, I'm seeing double. I can't go and, and insisted on stopping, but I let my balls get in the way. Um, and you know, it's just, uh, so I'm not sorry with Travis. I think Travis could have been mildly, uh, you, you know, a little bit, a little bit, uh, more um, apologetic about it. But I have no ill will towards them at all. I think that really, if I if somebody beats me, man, then good for them. I mean, they they got the best of me on that night and it's going to happen. Uh, but I, other than the vagrant, I really don't have any ill will towards anybody, really. Okay, okay. Um, I most of us are pretty cool, as you would know, man. Like Most most fighters are, are pretty humble, pretty cool. And once you get a little too big for your britches, you end up getting your ass kicked in front of everybody that's ever seen the sport. And nobody's going to ever let you forget about it. So it's a pretty humbling sport pretty quickly.
2: I I would have to think that's as as humbling as it can possibly get. Uh, Speaking of um, getting their ass kicked, there was this door one time during your Ultimate Fighter season. So why are you tearing on a door? Were you there when that door got eaten by Rampage?
1: I, I was. That was actually after my fight against Scott Junk. That was my first fight ever. And I beat his boy Scott Junk, and Rampage was really upset about it.
2: Uh, was that door made out of uh, paper? What, let, what when we look back at it, or was that a legit door?
1: It was. It was a hollow core uh, cardboard door. And what's funny <laughs> that Dana actually said that. What he's upset more, the most about that whole thing is that the world get to see what kind of cheap doors they use. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Great moments indeed. <laughs> uh, appreciate you sharing yeah. that. Definitely looking forward to check out the Bellator MMA Recharge Series with Big John McCarthy. You want to see some Fedor fights, some Rampage fights. Matt Mitrione taking on a vagrant. Be sure to check it out. Debuts April 25th, 8 Eastern on the CBS Sports Network, and then every Wednesday night after that. Matt Mitrione, thank you for your time, sir, and for filling this quarantine hole with a few laughs.
1: Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. You guys have a great time, and make sure you watch me. Whoop that fat
2: vagrant's ass. Thanks, boys. All right. Special thanks to Meathead. Uh, Rashad, I don't think it's part of that interview. We're going to play it later down the road. But he had some great things to say about you as a human being. Um, what is your sort of uh, history with Meathead?
0: Well, I mean, he was a coach on Ultimate. I mean, I, was, I coached him on Ultimate Fighter Show. And uh, after that, he came down to um, South Florida and and was on my team you know so we, we we established a pretty good relationship you know and uh you know, train a bit uh matt matt is, matt, is, matt is a good guy man he's um been been a friend of mine for a while and uh you know he's 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 a good dude man
2: really good dude i'm gonna relive his comments and a lot of that when story time with rashad eventually takes us ahead <laughs> that big rampage fight when you did coach on the ultimate fighter so
1: why are you turning on a door
2: yeah, why are you tearing down a door? I, it was fun getting Matt's breakdown on that. He's like, "Yeah, that door was was paper thin." Paper Let's mache. be honest with it. Years later. Yeah. All right. Did anyone save that? That'd be I would buy that off eBay. The door that the that, door, that
0: door Rampage 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 broke, broke up. Did you About ever it. think
2: this is a little bonus question? Did you ever think during the filming of that that you may have to fight Rampage like outside of the cage, like like in the, any, any of that?
0: Did yeah. Think, I, every day, I, put, every every day I went to uh, on set because our our times, our training times overlapped. Like sometimes if he ran his training schedule a little bit later, then it'll overlap on my time. So sometimes we would interact and whenever we interact, it was always explosive. It got to the point where they they pushed his training time so we wouldn't interact at all because every single time it was, we were gonna fight, it got bad.
2: Uh, that, was a, that was a great season. I mean, people forget. that's the heavyweight season. That was like the, you have to tune into this crap. Yeah, Kimbo the Kim- the, the, the Kimbo
0: slice season, yeah. I mean,
2: that, Kimbo enough was to draw you in, but then when you had the Rashad and, uh, and Rampage stuff going on, I
0: mean, wow. Hey, Rashad's nuts out your mouth. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's fair, that's fair Rampage, all right. Um, Rashad, let's break down Wednesday night's card. It's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. From Jacksonville, no crowd. And by the way, speaking of this no crowd thing, I actually thought it was pretty fun this weekend, Rashad, that there was a new element to deal with, and that's the fact that the fighters could actually hear the commentary for better or worse. We saw Carla Esparza be like, say she was offended that DC was kind of like ragging on her, but then started to use his like, she should be doing this and this to help her. You also had the fact that the, the judges could hear that and the fighters could hear their corners probably better than any before how much do you think for as long as this season's going to last that's that might change some things because if you got a smart guy like dc sitting by the cage telling you what you're doing wrong that, that might help you
0: i mean it, 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 if you're a smart fighter and you're used to, and you're able to you know use your smarts while you're fighting then that can help out tremendously you know when i was fighting uh dan henderson um he, he had a move and i and i picked it up just by listening to his corner i had no idea what it was but this corner said Bisbing, and immediately I knew what that what he was trying to set up—the inside left kick, kick to the overhand right—and I avoided it the whole fight just because I understood when he said Bisbing. So you can pick up on key words and you can figure it out, and it can't stop. So yeah, this may be an element that we have never seen before, but maybe one of the fighters use.
2: Yeah, it's wild. But this card is headlined of course, by a uh, really good light heavyweight bout. It's Anthony Smith. It's Glover Teixeira. Um, Certainly, it's, it, there's some title implications at stake here. Glover yeah. is 40 years old, but he's sort of recharged. He feels like he's back. He's on a three-fight win streak. He submitted Carl Roberson, submitted Ion Kutelaba and then won that split decision over Nikita Krylov last September, trying to make it back to the title shot. And Anthony Smith, of course, after that John Jones loss, blew away Alexander Gustafson and sent him into retirement. Um, Rashad, this had been a pretty shallow division because John Jones cleaned it out twice. I feel like there's fun again when you consider that Dom Reyes is right there, yeah. uh, Luhalovic is right there, and the winner of this may have a case to be right there as well.
0: What are you looking forward to in this fight? This is going to be a good fight, you know. Um, it, it, it's Anthony Smith. You know he has really good stand up and he has a nice frame too. You know, and and and, and if he can use that long frame with those uh, long uh, Muay Thai strikes and how he does. I think he can do pretty well, but the problem is, is that, you know, Glover Teixeira has been fighting a bit smarter. You know, he's not been going there throwing punches like he used to before. Now he's using more of a grappling, more of a grueling way of fighting, you know? And I think that's, that's where Anthony may have a little bit of trouble because of the whole grappling aspect, because he's going to be outmatched on the ground when it comes to Glover Teixeira. So if Anthony can keep his fight on his feet, and I think Anthony has his fight in the bag. But if Glover can get this fight to the ground, then I think the fight favors more to Glover Deshera.
2: Uh Would you uh, – do you still owe Glover share a receipt? I mean, let's be honest here. Glover <laughs> He
0: yeah. put my – hey, they both put my lights out. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, uh, I have no hard feelings about either one of these guys. You know, I, um, you know they, they both caught me with some good, good combinations or good punches or good whatever. But but, I, love, uh, I
2: love that you can laugh about that.
0: Rochelle. that. Uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, laugh and crying. You got to laugh and cry, baby. <laughs> exactly.
2: I mean, it's not like you're not like in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you, you, you've been there and back. You've done it. Um, I love this matchup because, you know, Glover's going to empty whatever he's got left. I feel like Smith should win. He's the younger, fresher fighter. You have to believe he's learned a lot from that John Jones loss. He's gone through some craziness personally with that home invasion recently. John Jones still chirping at him on Twitter here. Uh, How do you see this playing out? I like Anthony Smith to win a... Tough, hard-fought decision. Where are you going,
0: man? It, it's tough, man. Um, I like Anthony Smith too, but I, I don't think I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough fight for him, and I think it's going to be a tough fight just for the reasons that I, that I uh, spoke about before. I think he's going to have to deal with with some of the grappling of Glover Teixeira in order to get the fight where he wants to on his feet, where he's able to capitalize on his reach and his striking that he has. So that that's where I see the fight going. I Do think. You uh, see- Anthony Smith as an elite fighter yeah i think I think he is an elite fighter. I think that he's you know he's he's uh growing too as well too. I think that he's you know e- even despite the fact that he has you know, like you know so, so many fights he's still growing you know the process is still growing, and uh I feel as as he grows in his process you know he he will get better than he was when he fought john jones
2: yeah he's got uh Forty-seven pro fights going back to two thousand eight. Uh, it's really a wild story. I mean, there was a point in time where he was nine and seven as a professional, so that that's wild. And he and he is improving uh, seemingly each time we see him. Uh, heavyweight co-main event. Big Ben Rothwell is back, but the interesting story here is OSP Oven Saint Prue moving up to heavyweight. And this morning, Rashad he weighed in at two hundred and forty pounds. OSP getting husky on us here. Uh, is it? OSP's a hit or miss guy, right? He's either going to get a spectacular knockout or kind of not really pull the trigger and maybe lose. Is this a desperation move to heavyweight? Is it inevitable for a guy with that size and power? What are you looking at?
0: I mean, I think that it it was inevitable more than anything. I think that when you look at um, OSP in the past, he's always struggled to look, you know, to make that weight. He's always kind of a bigger guy. So um, it's interesting to see, like, what this 240 would bring to him as far as the energy standpoint, because sometimes you can watch a fight with OSP and and he seems to be a lax of days and not pushing the pace. And you wonder is it because he's not in that good of shape or because he cut too much weight. So this fight would be the fight to see, okay, he may have had a weight cutting issue. And it's going to be good, interesting to see how he's able to utilize um being able to have more energy or just being able to be, you know, maybe the faster fighter in there with these heavyweight guys, you know, so this, this could be, Something, um, something big for him in his career because I think that when it comes to the heavyweight weight class, there's not a lot of fighters who, uh, you know, I think he, I think he matches up well with a lot of he- the heavyweights that we have right now. Yeah, you that know? gap
2: between light heavy and heavy still seems to be pretty big. Whereas, like we always talk about it, heavyweight age doesn't really matter. OSP's thirty-seven. He kind yeah. of he could find second life just from the fact that he doesn't have to deal with the speed at two hundred five as much, and we know he can bang. He also has three Von Fluchoke victories in the last five wins for him. So something yeah. to think about. And here. also,
0: I mean, talk about saving uh, your fight career, not cutting so much weight if they saves save your fight career big time.
2: Absolutely. Big Ben Rothwell snapped a three-fight losing skid when he knocked out Stefan Struve in December. He had missed uh, upwards of almost three years, of course, with the uh, USADA suspension that came right after he seemed to kind of be looking like a legitimate heavyweight title contender, and then he got uh, blanked by Junior Dos Santos in that five-round decision loss. Uh, he's, he, you know, Big Ben Rothwell's a weirdo, but, you know, he's, he's always interesting. He's got a good submission game. He, he says weird things in front of a microphone. Right now, there is not a man in this planet that can stop me inside this octagon, and only politics can
0: slow me. I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You a like a maniacal
2: laugh? <laughs> uh, I, it, it just fights up for grabs. We'll see. You know, I, I'm hoping OSP can put something together and kind of make a little bit of, of a run for himself, kind of like, uh, you know, Beefy Latifi might be able to do at heavyweight with, with a different game plan, a different way to look at things now. Um, good lightweight bout. Alexander Hernandez drew Dober. Uh, Alexander Hernandez, we still don't know. He might, he might be the real deal. 11 and two record only lost in the UFC came against Cowboy Cerrone when he kind of came out there like an a-hole looking to bang and he, and he, he ended up losing and getting caught in that second round. How good is Alexander Hernandez in your eyes?
0: He's really good, but I think that the fact that he, he lost the way that he did, it was the medicine that he needed at the time. You know, sometimes when when, when you're feeling yourself, you're feeling yourself a little too prematurely, <laughs> and you need to be sat down, as the case with Francis Ngannou, you know, and, and, and we've seen what happened from, from there. So I think the same thing can be said about, about Hernandez, too. You know, I think that that was, you know, what he needed in order to get his mind right about competing. So, you know, sky's the limit for, for a guy like, like he has – he has so many attributes, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's a physical specimen. The kid looks great, and he has good skills. So if he can all put it together, but put it together mentally, then he can be a force
2: and Drew Dober coming off of two knockout wins. This should be a very interesting fight to try to make some, some noise in the, in, the, uh, in the back half, the 10-20 to 20 area of the lightweight rankings. Uh, good Bantamweight bout, too. Former flyweight title contender Ray Borg, who missed weight in his last bout, moves up officially to Bantamweight, taking on the mullet-wearing, always fun Ricky Simone. Uh, could Ray Borg have new life at Bantamweight here? What are we doing here, Ray Borg? What do you, what do you think about this
0: matchup? I think it's I think it's a good matchup. You know, uh Ray Ray Borg is so tough, you know, and um you know, you see him at 125 and he always had a skeletal look in his eyes as if like he may have cut too much weight. So, it's going to be interesting to see him at 135 and being a bit fuller and being a little bit more in, in the gas tank as far as uh not having to cut that weight. So, he could he could actually make an impact at at uh at one thirty-five and weight, you know, it'd be interesting to already add to an already stacked division. You know, this could be, phew, it, it could be a, a big, big for that division. Yeah, and
2: Simone needs the win. He's on a two-fight losing skid, which included Mister Faber's comeback. Uh, the opening bout on this main card, I'm very interested in. Interested in Carl Roberson is going to move down from light heavyweight back to middleweight he's going to take on marvin vittori and this is a name i feel like we don't talk about enough the italian is 26 years old he fought israel adesanya to a very close split decision loss in 2018 had many moments in that fight since then he's claimed the decision wins over cesar Frededa and andrew sanchez could marvin vittori be the middleweight sleeper rashad that no one is talking about
0: yes he very well could be you know um you know, when when you're when you're taking uh the style bender, you know, to the decision in, in a very close fight, you're doing some things right, you know. And the fact that he's hiding under the radar, it lets me know further that <laughs> that he's doing something right. Because when a guy's fighting on the radar and he's that competitive and that tough, you know, it, it's it's really hard to plan for that guy, you know. And um it, it's gonna be interesting to see what Carl does because Carl, you know, Carl, Carl I used to train with Carl in Jersey and when I trained with, with um with Corey Anderson and those guys. And, uh, you know, Carl's really good, really good kickboxer. You know, he has some phenomenal kicks, amazing left uh, high kick. So uh, this is a big test for him, pretty good test for him. And he's back down at 185. And this is the perfect weight class for him because I thought that like, this is the weight class that he needed to begin being in the beginning.
2: Uh, on this preliminary card, a couple of decent fights here. Felipe Linz is going to take his four-fight win streak from the PFL into UFC in his debut here against Andre Arlovsky. Interesting. See if he can make some noise there at heavy. Uh, I kind of like Michael Johnson Anytime he's going to fight. I know it's, yeah. it's, it's the second chapter of the Michael Johnson career. He's in there against Tiago Moises. And Sajara, Sajara Eubanks against Sarah Morais. I don't hate that one either, Rashad, all right? Brian Kelleher back. He had a big win a couple months back as well. He's going to take on Hunter Azur. And, you, and uh, remember that guy, Chase Sherman? He's yeah. back from the BKFC, Rashad. He went 3-0 and in island fights lately. Not okay. fight island. Island fights. Island
0: fights. That's, that's, that's in Picola. That's in P-Cola. Okay. Oh, well,
2: yeah, the, the shout-out to Chase Sherman there. Um, shout-out to everybody. I'm fired up. Fights are back. Wednesday night fights. I don't think this is going to be a new thing or a, tra- or a consistent thing. I think this is part of just making a splash for UFC, getting back on, on the map. But uh, I'm fired up for it. And you know we're going to have you covered, not just previewing it. But also Thursday, we'll be back breaking things down, looking ahead to the Saturday card. Also, Calvin Cater is going to stop by. He had a win we didn't really talk much about, but he dropped that elbow to Jeremy Stevens' mouth. And uh, that, was, that was pretty impressive, Rashad. That was a fun little fight there. Also, I don't think we can go any further without mentioning um, uh, that, that undercard banger that happened. Between Nico Price, and, oh my uh, the god, guy, the guy, the guy the, you know, the guy I'm talking Lu- about, Luke, Luke, Vicente Vincente. Luque, uh, that was some fun, freaking fire right there! Shout out to those guys. Damn
0: Amazing, right.
2: damn right. The uh, left
0: hook, gonna, the left hook.
2: We gonna see Rashad on any uh cards coming up? You gonna you gonna travel during this pandemic?
0: You know, I don't, I don't know, man. I, you know, they're not too far from me, so I, I could maybe get the call, but I don't even know how they're doing the whole. Uh, analyst thing. Yeah, they had a bare so, bones
2: staff, no desk in yeah. the arena. Just uh, uh, bare bones. Mrs. Benavidez, uh, uh, Megan O'Levy. shout out to Megan O'Levy. Uh, was was roaming the arena, but that was it. Uh, but interesting stuff there. Sam Alvey, t- tough loss, tough loss for that guy. All right, all right. We'll get <laughs> every match going one day with Rashad. Thank you. Very <laughs> all right, shout out to you, Rashad. Thank you for being here. All the listeners you, on the State of Combat, Matt Mitrione for stopping by. Uh, We're back, baby. Big things ahead for this podcast. Love chatting with you. Rashad, any other messages for the people? Okay, Can they find you? You got a set coming up at the Comedy Store. What's going on?
0: No, I'm good, you know, just uh, you can find me here, you know, this is this is where I am at, and this is where I will be.
2: All right. All right, until then, I got two words for you people, okay? We out. We out. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The off season is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.